You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and... And one problem that I see come up again and again, people ask about, you know, how do I budget? How do I improve my finances? I say shoot for those big wins. And the first place to look for a big win in budgeting is recurring expenses, things that like cable bills and cell phone bills that you pay every single month where, sure, if you cancel it, you only save, you know, $10 a month, but that's $120 a year. So that adds up quick. And there's one product that is designed just for this problem of finding those subscriptions and trying to cancel them. And that product is Trim. And I'm really excited to welcome today the CEO of Trim. Our guest is Thomas Smith. He's calling in from uh, from the Bay Area up in California. So uh, say hello to everybody and welcome. Eric, thank you so much for having me. Really, really good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to have you on. So you know, as, a, as the CEO of this company, you obviously have an entrepreneurial bone or two in you. How did this all come to fruition? And did you, did you always know you were going to be a startup guy or did that come come about when you had this idea? No, certainly not. And this came out of my personal frustration with personal finance. <laughs> so I think that you are totally right in talking about big wins in budgeting. And, you know, the most important thing is to look for and take advantage of those big wins. I would submit an addendum to that, which is big wins with little effort. Because to be honest, when I think about my personal financial life and my ideal way of dealing with my personal finances, it's like, imagine me sitting on a couch, eating Cheetos, playing Pokemon Go, <laughs> not doing anything with my personal finances, right? And that, that is my ideal, is to not deal with it at all. And so it, it, this kind of came out of my frustration, and, and my co-founder, Dan, shares this, that, you know, we're busy people, we have other things going on, and there are so many things I would rather do than deal with my personal finances. So how our, our question, our challenge in starting this was, how could we build a service, an agent, an assistant that manages our personal financial lives for us so we can focus on, you know, building our company and doing other fun things and going bicycling and yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think Pokemon. most Americans, most, yeah, catch and catching all. Pokemon and eating Cheetos. Exactly. <laughs> so when you had this idea, you know, there's already, you know, apps out there, things like Mint and Personal Capital that help you manage your budget. How did you come up with the idea of a bot-based tool that could save you money? So we came up with this after using all of those other apps. So I think I signed up for Mint in 2009 or 2010, a couple years after it started. And gradually, I became less and less enamored of the project because the desired user behavior was to go back in and look at those pie charts and categorize all of your spending and engage with your finances in a way that was very high effort, right? And so I think the same is true of many of these other budgeting apps where basically you go in and you're supposed to kind of like tweak your budget and, and look at the pie charts and spend a lot of time engaging with it that way. Our thought was, how do we have someone else do all that work for you? 
right? How do we have the computer watch your budget, pay attention to where your money's going, see how you're getting ripped off, and not only see what's going on, but also like take action on your behalf, right? So because I think you know there 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 are so many cases where we know the right answer. Like my mom calls me and she tells me. Thomas, you should be eating more broccoli. And I go, Mom, you are so right. She's like, Thomas, you should be sleeping more and going to the gym more often. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, Mom? You are, you are 100% correct. Thank you so much. So knowing the right information, knowing what to do is only 10% of the battle. You know, we all know a whole variety of things we should be doing to make totally. ourselves better people. But doing it, that's the 90% problem. You know, that's the really hard thing. And so we thought, hey, you know, rather than just telling people what to do, the more that we can do stuff for you with this bot or agent or assistant, as we call it, the more compelling it is to the user. So when you were building this and testing it, I'm sure you found some, some of your own personal financial fixes you needed to make. What did, what did your apps find as you were building them in your own personal finance situation to fix? You know, it was so funny. Uh, think about how many times you've looked at someone else's personal finances, someone else's bank statement or something. Well, I know I don't think I, being I, a finance I, blogger, yeah, but most right. people but don't I think, have that I think experience. for most folks, and, <laughs> and for me, I had never done that with anyone, right? My personal finances are, are, are very personal. And so my co-founder and I sat down, actually, on day one and printed out our bank statements and, and swapped them. And we've known each other for you know, going on nine years, right? It's not like we don't know just about everything else about each other. But, you can learn a lot about somehow, someone yeah, from looking somehow, at their bank like, statement. Kind of that unveiling was, was, was quite personal and a good bonding experience for us. Anyway, so he was looking through my subscriptions and he goes, or through my transactions, and he's kind of looking for subscriptions and other stuff. And he's like, hmm, Thomas, you know, that's smart that you don't have TV and instead you have Hulu here. And I'm like, well, you're right. I don't, I don't have TV. I just have internet. But Hulu, I, I, I don't have, I don't watch Hulu. And he's like, no, here, seven ninety five. You know, every every month on the fourth of the month. And I go, oh, golly, that was that free trial I signed up for like those free, four those months free ago. Free trials are the bane of budgets. <laughs> and and I signed up for it to watch one show. Yeah, because my friend was like, oh, we have to watch this show. Which show I was, was like, okay, it? Okay, okay, fine. I'll put in the credit card. I don't even remember. That's a crazy thing, right? Like you sign up for this stuff and put in your credit card because you just assume that you're going to go back and cancel it. So something and, that you didn't and, even really and, care about and in the long run, you yeah, were paying for every single month, eight bucks. Of course. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, then I turn around to my co-founder and Dan and, and go through his statement and I say, Dan, you know, wow, you're so responsible that you have uh, renter's insurance. I have been actually thinking about getting renters insurance. You know, tell me about the process. Like, what? Like, do you, you know, do you think you're getting the best deal here? And he goes, "Oh, that's actually from my old apartment in Seattle that I moved out of a year ago." Okay, oh, <laughs> so the guy's been paying like twenty five or thirty bucks a month for renters insurance for a year without even. You know, without even even living it. in Not the even, apartment, he yeah. was insuring nothing. He was just yeah, and, putting money in their and, pocket. And funny enough, this was a case where he where he knew he had been meaning to cancel it, but just hadn't gotten around to it. So it was kind of, we call them to-do listers. Like, I'm a to-do lister. I got a lot of stuff that I know I should do on my to-do list, but 
sometimes it's a little hard to get around, you know, buying my flights home for Christmas to see my, my parents. Like, oh, God, I should have done that weeks ago. Right. right? Then I just haven't gotten with, around to it. With $25 a month as an example, that's, that's, that's $300 a year. That's enough to pay for that plane ticket home. Exactly. And, and so looking at, you know, these things that, hey, people have been meaning to cancel or meaning to, shop for car insurance or whatever meaning to like get rid of you know some credit card that's charging you a fee like like you're looking at all this stuff and going hey well what if someone else could do that for you right take it off your to-do list and save you that money today rather than letting you procrastinate it's like i was saying to my wife every day i wish i had an assistant that i could just tell to do all these things exactly. on my list Exactly. And to tell me what to do when I need to be there because managing my own calendar is, is a challenge some days. And a, an assistant <laughs> is exactly the, the word for this, I think. How, how can we – what we are trying to build for people is a financial assistant, a little robot that cleans up your finances for you so you don't have to. So before you started working on this, what, what was your life like? Were you working a nine-to-five did you start this right out of school? How, how did you get into the startup? Yeah, just prior to this, I was working at an investment firm, actually, that was investing in early stage financial technology companies. So I'd spent a lot of time in the space. And my job is uh, uh, a lot of, lot of hours, a lot of travel. But the most interesting thing was that as one of the more junior people on the team, my job was to try them all out, right? And so I was the one to download, oh, this new app came out. Hey, Thomas, you know, download this. Put in your bank credentials. See if this is any good. You're millennial. You and, know how phones and, work. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're one of those iPhone things. And so I, I found through that process of trying every app and personal financial service on the market that, you know, it just felt like personally none of them really stuck. None of them were really that useful for me. A lot of them presented information but then didn't do anything with it. And so, uh, you know, to be honest, that's where this idea of, of having an assistant came from was, hey, this is like the clear next step of if if it were possible to build an assistant that could manage your personal finances for you, everyone would sign up for that. Right. And, and the hard part is, of course, actually doing it. Mm -hmm. So you so you have this company now. What is your what is your lifestyle like as a as a the guy behind the business, I mean, you mentioned you have a co-founder. What does your day-to-day -day look like? You know, a lot of people dream of of moving to Silicon Valley and starting their own company and being their own boss, and then they have that nine to five or eight uh -huh. to six or seven to seven, whatever hours they're working, uh -huh. and they dream of this lifestyle. What is it? Give, give people a, a snapshot of what it feels like and, and what it looks like running your company like you are. Yeah. So I. I think that there are two dreams that people have or two like, you know, fantasies that people have in their heads about Silicon Valley. And, and one is that it's really easy, right? Where you're working, you know, let's say 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. every day. And then you go and, you know, kind of live the lifestyle. Looks that like a TV show that, does, that people that, might that, have seen Yeah, it's on a HBO. TV show. Yeah, it's really <laughs> – that's not true at all. It's, it's 8 to 11, but – but one's a.m. and one's p.m. Okay, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this stuff is—it's extremely competitive in the market today. It's very difficult to acquire customers to get people to use your product. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Ideas are easy. It's all about execution. And so we wake up every morning, and our focus is on 
growing and building and reinforcing our team because I think that having the right team is the most important part of this. And then using the team, you know, deploying the team to build the best possible product for our users. And if you get those two things right, if you have a really good team and a really good product, you're able to go far. But both of those require like an insane amount of work. (laughs) And I've got to say, like, there are some days where you come to the end of the day and you're like, what? Like nothing happened. Like what did I spent all day working, but nothing happened. What did I do today? Yeah. What did I do? Yeah. And then the, the key is that in those moments, You've got to just do it again because you may, you're not going to see a payoff in a single day or a single week or a single month. I mean, as, as exciting as these startups are, like they don't appear overnight. You know, they take years and years of very concentrated work by large groups of people. So that's how we think of this is how do we continue to build a great team that really cares about our long-term mission and is building a product that our users and customers actually appreciate right that i actually enjoy so was this the first idea or were there other iterations or ideas before that didn't stick and didn't work out so well before you got to this point yeah so this was the first idea that we really executed on you know i think that we we looked at a couple other ideas and the the question was more for us what is like where do you start, right? If we're building mm-hmm. an assistant for your personal finances, well, is that what you market day one? Do you have real people, you know, sitting in an office somewhere, like managing your budgets and your 401k? We thought, well, you know, that probably doesn't make sense. Let's do it entirely in an automated fashion. Where should we begin? And so, so making the decision to begin with subscription finding and canceling as our, as our kind of entry points or our, you know, tip of the wedge for this product. That's what was kind of that took some figuring out in our first couple of months. So along along the way, you've been you iterating and testing. You have you have a lot of real users. What are what are people's experiences generally? I mean, it doesn't cost anything to sign up, which is awesome. So so people don't have any real resistance point, but it can save them a lot of money. What kind of money are people saving, and what are you finding are the most common things people are saving on? Where are the uh-huh. places people should look and the listeners right now who are like, oh, I might have some Hulu subscription I'm not thinking about. What are the <laughs> most common ones they should look for? Yeah. So there are people save on average $180 after they sign up and go through the initial flow. So that's useful. And people are most likely to cancel entertainment style stuff and financial style stuff. So by entertainment, people aren't Hulu, canceling their power bill. People are not canceling their power bill very often, no. <laughs> but Hulu and Netflix and, and Audible, right? People at some point said, oh, I'm going to, you know, watch more movies or listen to more audiobooks, or I really, you know, I like this TV show. I want to watch the whole season. And, and then after a couple months, maybe preferences change or maybe you just signed up for the free trial and then it started billing you or what have you. People say, well, you know, this is good, but I, I think I'm going to put this on pause. You know, I think I'm going to uh, wait till, till a, new, a new show comes on or <laughs> maybe yeah. I don't actually listen to very many audiobooks or whatever the case may be. So the entertainment stuff tends to be people trying something out and then they're like, well, this isn't a fit right now, but maybe I'll come back to it later. Uh, the, I, I the tried other, Hulu right in the beginning. I, yeah. had a, I have a Roku. I now use Chromecasts, but we uh-huh. had started with Roku and I tried Hulu. 
and and I'm not. Maybe someone from Hulu will listen and fix this. I was doing Netflix <laughs> and Hulu at the same time, and my uh-huh. biggest uh-huh. problem with Hulu is like, why should I pay money to have to watch commercials? Uh huh. Uh-huh. And at the time, I don't know if it's still this way. Some shows were blocked from the Roku, and I could only watch them on my laptop. Uh-huh. And those shows were like Community and Parks and Recreation at the time, uh-huh. which were the only uh-huh. ones I wanted to watch on Hulu. It's like, so why uh-huh. should I pay these people nine dollars every month or eight dollars, whatever it was, to uh, to have to watch commercials on shows that I want to watch on my TV, but I couldn't. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's frustrating. <laughs> yes, and the um, the the way that these companies monetize and the way that they negotiate these video on demand rights, the VOD rights, mm-hmm. uh, both in the U S and, and globally are, are complicated and are oh, changing totally. rapidly. So, you know, I think the, the Netflix, Hulu, et cetera, model of distributing content in a direct manner to consumers is, is exciting and here to stay, but you're right. You know, it's, these companies are still young and growing and they're going to learn from people uh, like me gaining clout and, and negotiating those rights. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So on the financial side, you mentioned you saw a lot of people canceling things as well. I know like freecreditreport.com is very far from free. You know, a r- big red these flag things. that something is not free is that you have to put your credit card number in. These, <laughs> these credit reporting sites are many of them are to be totally frank, a scam. I think that they are going out of their way to deceive consumers. And so you would not believe the number of folks who come in and they say, I thought that I was getting this for free. And it turned out that I wasn't. And I would, you know, I mean, the legal legal definitions aside, I can't comment on that. But as a consumer, that feels like a scam to me, right? <laughs> when I signed up for something, you and it's free as in your and name, then it wasn't. And there's all this, sure, it's all, there's all this stuff in the fine print. I mean, they have team, they have armies of lawyers who make sure that they're not doing anything quote unquote illegal. Right. But when you look at, is this fair for consumers? I personally draw a radically different conclusion. And I think many Americans would, would agree with me that, you know, fair may not be the same as legal. So it's super frustrating to deal with those companies. They do their best to make it really hard for people to cancel. And, and I would just, you know, have have everyone look at their bank statements and say, hey, am I being fairly charged by uh, these merchants? And if I'm not, you know, who who can I contact about that? If, if you struggle with the merchant, you know, can you file a complaint with the FTC or something else? And so, yeah, that's, that's definitely a frustrating category. The entertainment people are great about cancellations, by the way, because they know that they have a winning business model in the long term. People are paying for stuff that they really value. They're going to come out with some new shows next year that you're excited about. You know, Hulu and Netflix see this as a long game in which they're like generating real value for their customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, other folks, particularly on the credit reporting side, which is a cash I, grab as I long think as they can do it. Yeah, I mean, look again. I want to describe it in terms of fairness, not anything. You know, not make any legal. Yeah. You know, statements here, but yeah, I think that from a fairness perspective, it's it's a whole nother story. So are there any other types of financial products outside of, you know, credit reporting that you see a lot of cancellations in? Yeah, we see a lot of weird stuff. So baggage insurance, right? Who really, hmm, baggage, what? <laughs> like so you get travel, that free from your credit card, don't you? you know? Yeah, think, sometimes things that are sold by credit card issuing banks uh, to their customers. It's like a supplementary service and you're paying, you know, eight bucks or 10 bucks or 12 bucks a month on your credit card. And you don't really 
notice or don't really know what it's for, you signed up for it once, or I would just describe all of that as, you know, kind of in this category of scammy charges or gray charges that, sure, they may have been sold to you legally, but did, are you really deriving any value from them? Or is this a fair charge? Well, uh, look at it twice and see. Have you found anything like, um, you know, I- with the big cell phone companies, you can get those insurance plans, but those are bundled into your main phone bill. Have you looked at any kind of data or trends on people using different add-on services like that, where Trim might just see one line on the bank statement, but you know behind the scenes there's, there's some more complex billing? Do, have you seen any trends there? That's That's something we're trying to understand more about and we're working on a couple products to fix those because I think there are many instances where you have a recurring payment, right, often a utility payment, and you look at it and you go, hmm, you know, this seems like a lot. Like what's what's going on underneath? I don't want to cancel my Time Warner today, obviously, but I would love to pay less for it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to cancel my AT and T phone. <laughs> this is what I'm using to talk to you right now. But I, need I would like to pay less for that every month, right? And so, I think that's another really interesting opportunity for an assistant to help people out is to look at those charges in a little more detail and try to figure out if you're being fairly charged or not, right? And if you're on the right plan or not, and if there are better options available, or uh, to be honest, the litmus test is very easy. Am I paying more for the same service than my neighbor is? You know, like if some guy down the street is paying less than I am for Time Warner, then, you know, and and we have the same plan, that to me seems like a, a, a basic fairness question. If people knew that, they would be frustrated, right? We've seen some startups um, succeed doing some kind of price comparison stuff. Like True Car is a good example. Uh, uh-huh. You can go on a website now, get an app or, or type it on your computer, and all of a sudden you'll know what everyone paid for the same model of car in your zip code. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you can go into the dealership and say, well, I'm not going to pay that sticker price because I know that you sold it to somebody in the last, or, or that dealership down the street sold one for, for this price. Are you able to use any kind of data that you have access to to share that kind of information potentially? Yeah, probably not for cars, but or uh, cars, we would but love for, to have for that Time price Warner transparency. <laughs> we're, we're working on that right now. And I think That's that awesome. that is something that is really empowering for people because, yeah, what's, I mean, that's fair, right? When you look around and you say, hey, you gave that price to that guy. Why are you charging a different price to me? You know, that doesn't doesn't really rub me the right way. Yeah, so, so uh, I think that's indeed a, a, a super interesting opportunity and, and something that consumers are very passionate about, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah, so speaking of things, fairness, that, that consumers are really passionate about, I know you just recently launched another kind of product line going into people's banks looking for overdraft fees. I know overdraft uh-huh. fees. I used to be a banker. I, I, I knew uh-huh. exactly how much money we made from overdraft fees when I was in the bank. It's and it insane. Was a lot. It was it's our insane. $23 billion. After, it was after uh, interest on people's home mortgages. That was our biggest uh-huh. revenue source. So what what are you seeing now that you've turned this on? Are people excited about it? Are you saving people a lot of money? Oh, people are thrilled. People are thrilled. So here's how it works. If you are a Trim user, if you sign up for Trim, 
we will automatically monitor your transactions, your bank and, and credit card transactions on an ongoing basis. If we see any overdraft fees or late fees, we'll notify you with a message. So we'll send you a message that says a text or a Facebook message that says, hey, you just got hit with an overdraft fee. If you would like us to contest this automatically with your bank, reply refund in a message. And so it takes half a second. Type refund and hit send. We then send an email automatically to your bank that says, and, and you're copied on the email, by the way, so you can see exactly what the correspondence looks like. And it says, hey, what's the big idea? This is totally unfair. How did you hit this guy or gal with an overdraft fee? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give, like, like, please refund it. You know, this is a customer who's been a customer of yours for a while, and it is totally unfair to charge $35 for what may be a, a relatively small transaction that incurred the fee, right? And people overdraft for all kinds of reasons, typically because they're forgetful. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the history of overdraft fees, this, this really riles me up because, you know, an overdraft fee, let's say 50 years ago or, or 70 years ago, you would have to really know that you were about to incur that fee because the two ways of moving money around, remember, were mm-hmm. either you pay in cash, so you can't overdraft if you're paying in cash, or you write a check. And so let's say you're writing a check for your rent. Yeah, it's five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever. And you don't live in the Bay Area. Yeah, well, (laughs) right. And 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 your banker, you know, is so nice as to to basically allow that check to go through, not to bounce the check. And typically you're only writing checks for a big purchase, right? And and in exchange, he's going to charge a convenience fee. Effectively, you know, they mm-hmm. have to do some paperwork in 1955 or whatever <laughs> to like make sure that the that the, the check money goes really through. Goes. And yeah, yeah. So so some cost is incurred on the bank side 50 years ago when when they did an overdraft fee. So fast forward to today, all of this is done automatically. When mm-hmm. you overdraw your account, the bank, you know. No banker goes through and goes, oh, you know, yeah, Mr. Smythe, he's a good guy. Let's, let's, let's give him, you know, let's let that check go through and then, uh, we'll just charge him a little fee. No, no, no human is looking at this transaction, right? This is all automated. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that money is moving, being moved out of your accounts automatically, not just when you sit there and write a check, right? Mm-hmm. So if I write a check, I, I, know that I'm spending this money. I know when it's coming out, I date the check a certain date for a reason. Mm-hmm. And if I have, you know, let's say some automatic payment set up on Amazon or with Uber or with my Netflix or whatever, like those, they will overdraft you for those charges as well. Mm-hmm. So you can be, you can be sitting there and yeah, you literally you not forget, do anything. Literally not do anything. Forget that your account has five bucks in it. Netflix hits you with a seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine charge. So you're like two or three dollars overdrafted. Bam, thirty five dollar fee from your bank. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's how uh, to they, me, you know, going back to, do. to the, I don't do I this. I don't know if it's I, legal anymore, but the way it used to be done uh, by some ordering. banks, yeah. they would. They would batch all of your transactions to be processed at the end of the day. 
and they would uh-huh. do it in order from highest to lowest. Uh-huh. So uh, it sounds like you're familiar. For listeners, yes. it's you know you could go to let's say you go to Starbucks and spend five dollars, then go to the grocery store and spend seven dollars, and then go to the shop to get your car fixed, and that's two hundred dollars. You started the day with a hunt, let's say um, you know you know uh, two hundred dollars in your account. So really, you didn't overdraft until you went to the car shop. But the way the banks would treat it, they would run that $200 transaction first and then charge you an overdraft fee for Starbucks and the grocery store. So you'd be paying $70, not $35. And that's, um, I, I believe, illegal now. I <laughs> think they changed the laws on that. So on it's, that. the regulations have changed. They haven't prohibited it entirely. I think most banks have stopped reordering. There are some banks that still do it. But I agree. Just the most that's pernicious kind of that retail banking. Pro- that specific yeah. process is uh, because people really hadn't overdrafted yet. Right. You know? Right. And, and uh, I think as we move forward, you know, there were there were talks in England um, not too long ago about phasing out paper checks completely. Uh-huh. I think we'll probably end up seeing that happen here too. And we're seeing already in the last year the electronic transfers. You know, times are cutting from three days to two days to sometimes mm-hmm. next day. We're mm-hmm. going to see next. We're going to see same day very soon. Um, yep. There's there startups working on that. When you, what, what do you see is happening in in the overdraft space in general with this? Do you think people are going to get hit with instant overdrafts and be like, oh no, I, I shouldn't uh, spend more money today, or do you think it's going to kind of go on like it is now and people aren't going to realize what's going on? I talked to a former regulator recently who said. The music is still playing, and so the banks are still dancing, but they know at some point the music's going to stop because this these fees are so blatantly unfair, right? And so at some point, overdraft fees will go away, or they will have a more sensible, fair way of charging them. And I hope that we can make that day come sooner rather than later because, you know, I think there are a lot of consumers that are really getting hurt. I mean, this is $23 billion mm-hmm. being taken out of the pockets of ordinary Americans and being put in the pockets of retail banks. And that to me, I mean, regardless of what your beliefs are about, you know, the capitalist system, which I'm a proud you know participant in mm-hmm. or, or regardless of your political beliefs. Like, this is a no-brainer, people. Like, how can you let banks literally... Like, if I walked into a bank and took $35 and walked out, like, I'm a criminal, right? Like, I should be arrested. You know, I should go to jail for that. That's called bank robbery. But when the bank just takes $35 out of your account, that's just called, like, normal retail banking, right? And that's done, you know, 600 million times a year. So I think something's got to change. So our proposals are, first, there should not be a fee for any transaction less than the amount of the fee, right? Or uh, another way of putting that is the fee can only be as large as the amount of the transaction that you incurred. So what we're seeing in the data here is that a third of overdraft fees are incurred by transactions that are less than the amount of the overdraft fee. So mm-hmm. so a third of these $35 overdraft fees are being incurred by transactions that are less than $35. Right? Wow. So, so they're, the sec- so they're so, paying more than the transaction would have been anyway. Look, and, and if you have any gripe with the payday lending industry, these are payday loans. 
These are these are effectively payday loans at much higher interest rates than are entirely unregulated, right? So that that stuff really burns me up. The the second proposal that we would put forth that we think all banks should adopt is to give customers a two day grace period. So if you get an overdraft fee, your bank should notify you and say, "Hey, you forgot. You ran out of money. Get in here and, and like you know pay that money in the next two days." And then you'll be good, right? And mm-hmm. you can have a cap on the number of times people can use this per year to stop people from abusing this or, you know, but, but I, the, the vast majority of people who are getting hit with these fees are not, you know, hey, I'm trying to somehow beat the system, right? They're, they just totally. forget. They just forget. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a basic question of fairness and we should change the rules for how banks administer these fees and, and add a grace period associated with it. And that would help so much for consumers and just not worrying about this stuff on a day-to-day basis as much. So how much success have you had with your, uh, you send the automated emails, say, hey, I'm a good customer. Can you refund this fee? What's your success rate been like? A little over 50%. We're batting about 51% right now. That's pretty which good. Is, so. Which is good, which is higher than we anticipated, to be honest. But, you know, we 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 would love to take that debt take that up to 100% or to take the number of overdraft fees down to zero and just right. not do this anymore. But that's a, that's a, a good testament to, you know, I've said before, I think on this podcast, definitely on the blog, if you're hit by a fee that you think um, doesn't make sense or, or just really angers you, call and ask or email and ask. And there's a good chance they'll waive it if you ask nicely because you're a good customer. Exactly. It's, and and it's more broadly, worst thing they do is say no. Yeah, and and more broadly, anytime you feel like you're not being treated fairly by a big company, then you should get in touch with someone. You should be vocal about that because there are so many instances where people just go, "Ah, oh, this isn't worth my time. Ah, oh, they overcharge me, but you know, there's nothing you can do." Oh, contact and the company and ask. It's yeah. it's hard, but it's always worth asking. It's always worth trying to pursue that. It's always worth leaving you know a negative review somewhere on the internet. Because customers uh, ultimately are the ones who make purchasing decisions, right? <laughs> and ultimately, the power is supposed to be with us and for, to decide where we go and, and, and which companies we support. And for financial companies, a, a great resource, if you have a real problem, is the, uh, the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is a newer government organization that's doing some awesome work on uh, helping people deal with, with financial situations <laughs> and problems. There's good education tools and... Uh, and places to report problems. So that, that's mm-hmm. a great resource. So yes. uh, as a user of Trim, I, I've you know seen see my subscriptions texted to me. I'm excited to see this overdraft service. I, I've, I'm not an overdrafter. So, so, Good. Right. So I was going to say, uh, I, I hope you don't have to use it. <laughs> yes, I've, I've had one overdraft ever, and it was a stupid thing. I'd had a uh, an old account at a bank that I wasn't really using anymore and uh-huh. just kept that uh-huh. uh, debit card in the back of my wallet and had like 20 uh-huh. bucks in the account. Uh-huh. And I uh, was primarily using another That's bank at that point. And I had a couple of glasses of wine at dinner and uh-huh. grabbed the wrong card out of my wallet instead yep. of putting the... Uh, the restaurants and um, and bars get my my travel miles. I, I gave uh-huh. my debit card from uh-huh. my old bank and and uh, I, but I called them up. But actually, I went into the bank and said, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a good customer. I've never overdrafted in my life." And they they did refund the fee. So yeah. uh, 
it came out not costing me anything other than than a little bit of a hit There's to my ego right, for having right. had one overdraft now in my life. <laughs> I guess I guess that's uh, now I can really relate to how people feel because uh, I'd only before that been on the other side where I was the guy who they'd complain to. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you're you're in good company. I mean, this is <laughs> most most, 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 most of America point. has had an overdraft. Yeah. Yeah. Even even uh, even if the best of us, the experts like me, can overdraft, it really can't happen to anybody. Totally. Exactly. So I use this service and it's great and it's free. How do you guys make money fr- from this? What's your big uh, What's your big plan going forward at Trim? Yeah, so we're fortunate to have a great group of investors behind us, who whose instructions to us are make a great product and get as many people as you can using it, and then we'll figure out monetization. So our focus for now is still on finding more ways that we can actually help people to save money. That's first. And then second, getting more people to use us, right? You know, getting the word yeah. out. More that sounds like us. something anybody could get on board with. Sa- yeah. Saving money and not having to pay for it. Yeah, is, exactly. Uh, and making it really, really easy. That's, uh, see, people don't have an excuse. You, it's right. literally as easy as texting your sister or your brother or your friend. It, it sends me a text, and, and if I don't like something, I can text back. It's pretty darn cool. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So if people want to give it a try, and if they want to you know, follow you and what you're up to online, where should they go? Check us out at our website, asktrim, A-S-K-T-R-I-M, asktrim.com. And if they want to follow on, on Twitter or Facebook, what, what is it uh, asktrim as well? On Facebook, it's Ask Trim, and on Twitter, it's Ask underscore Trim. Perfect. So, but if you if you just Google Trim, you'll find it. We're the we're the first result. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So you'll you'll be able to find us that way. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story for for having this great discussion. I hope all the listeners out there really do go give Trim a try. And and as we said, it's free, so there's nothing to lose. And um, and the average user saves 180 dollars a year, so there's a lot to gain. And and I've been um. Happy to see you guys trucking along, and I hope you get to help you know, millions of people save billions or trillions of dollars. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That is exactly our goal, and really appreciate your you know talking to me today. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you. And then, um, again, everyone, that's uh, asktrim.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, if you enjoyed the show in general, please do take a moment. You know, go to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a good review. If you don't think I did an awesome job and, and earned five stars, please shoot me an email, eric at personalprofitability.com and let me know what I can do better because that is what it's all about. Just like Trim, I'm trying to help you guys save money and make more money. And, uh, and that's what it's all about every day. So thank you so much, Thomas, for being here and being a part of the show. Thank you, listeners, for hanging around till the end. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend. 